Let's pray. Lord, we, we simply want to sit with you. We simply want to sit at your feet, Lord. We simply want to have some time with you in everything we do here today. But right now in your word, would you meet us and lead us and shape us ever more into your image. Amen. So friends, Friday was in the church's calendar, the day of Holy Michael and all angels. And what we do is if those kinds of special holy days don't fall on Sunday, you move them to the Sunday following typically. So today we're celebrating Holy Michael and all angels. Now, every year it strikes me that part of the reason, I think, why the church in her wisdom has included this day is so that we never get too far away from remembering that God's creation involves more than we can see and more than we can sometimes sense. But it's only one day. We might also keep a few others. We could, we could keep the day for Gabriel or Raphael, the archangels. But the point is, it isn't that we're to be preoccupied with this. We should not neglect it or forget it, but also we're not meant to be preoccupied with it. There's some kind of a, a good balance, and something of that perhaps is reflected in the calendar. Maybe it's a topic that would more easily be left untouched. Perhaps most of us would be familiar with the topic of angels and their flip side, if you will, demons, by the scoff that we know that the modern Western world presents towards anything having to do with anything, especially regarding demons. Or maybe we've experienced talk and attention towards angels or demons through kind of that opposite of that, which would be sort of, you know, fixation with it. Demons are causing people to do all these kinds of things and all these conspiracy theories build up around how demons are controlling people to control the world. Or maybe we remember a time when angels were often presented, but they were sentimentalized. You know, they're, they're, they're little dudes with wings, and they just sort of flit around, and they don't amount to much. They're sort of warm fuzzies, but that's all they are. So given that I'm going to wager that most of you aren't too different from me, you don't know a lot about angels, you haven't thought all that much about angels. It's not something that, you know, you, you showed up this morning wondering about. So let's just keep it super simple. Let's just try to get really basic on the topic of angels. And we can start that, I think, by facing the, the simple fact that they are in the scriptures. Are they not? What do you think angels' favorite two words are based on their appearances in the scriptures. Fear not, or don't be afraid. Three words or two words, right? So they're there. They are clearly attested in scripture, and they're awesome. We can deduce that much because their first words are typically fear not. They're also good because their first words are typically fear not. Demons also are in the Bible. Jesus is clearly not fixated on demons, but he nonetheless 
does acknowledge their work. Jesus actually is the victim of a conspiracy, which, while it wasn't all about demons, I imagine they weren't unhappy about it, he actually was the victim of a conspiracy that actually led to his death by state violence, and yet he never got fixated on that whole thing. He's aware of it. He deals with it. He casts not a few demons out of individual people who've been beaten down and ground down and and somehow then the evil energy of demons has gotten into them and taken over. But he's not fixated on it. But nonetheless, if God created and uses angels and if Jesus deals with and casts out demons, then it's good for us to take at least one Sunday a year to think about these. So, do you remember a couple weeks ago, do you remember the Russian Orthodox priest theologian we chatted about? It's fine if you don't, I'll catch you up. Sergei Bulgakov. So Sergei Bulgakov was arguably the leading Eastern Orthodox theologian in the world leading up to the time of the Russian Revolution, and he was Russian. Now, you may recall, if you were here that week, you recall that as a young man, he grew up in a family in a small city where his whole line of his forefathers had been priests. And he was super brilliant. So at 14, he went into the seminary. But when he hit the kinds of questions that people ask as they're coming of age, and the people in the seminary didn't want to help him with those, then he pitched the whole faith thing. And he moved to Germany, where a lot of intellectuals were gathering, and he began to study Marx, and he became an atheist. And then he thought, wait, this isn't going to work. So he backed up into capital R, romantic German philosophy to try to get behind all that. In the end, he decided that the yearning of the soul does actually point to a God. And God met him in some particular ways we shared a few weeks ago that led him to recover his faith in Jesus. So he became an economist and a politician back home in Russia. And he was a huge public figure. He was talking about, it was, you know, he was in the media of the day. He was only had what we would call a huge voice on social media. He's talking about how do we do economics justly? How do we structure society justly? He's integrating Christian faith into how do we do society well? And he's a huge public figure who's known by a lot of folks, at least in, in terms of his voice and his appearance. And he gives all that up and becomes a priest. And then the Russian Revolution comes, and he, with many other intellectuals and believers, flees to Paris. So he gets to Paris, and he then begins to write some theological stuff. Now, I got interested in Bulgakov when I learned about him a month ago or so. Just such an interesting figure, and his conversion story was so profound. So I started digging a little bit. And I found out that in Bulgakov's first trilogy, book, you know, three theological books that go together, the third one was called Jacob's Ladder. And it was about angels. And I thought, whoa, wait a minute. Your third book and your own angels, that's centering them, if you will, quite a bit. So I said, let's just let's see where he goes with that. So Let's just let Bulgakov help us think about angels for a few minutes this morning. The first thing to say is, 
Just because Bulgakov was brilliant and just because he was a public figure with a big voice does not make him right. True? Doesn't make him right. Maybe he's wrong. But it doesn't not matter either, right? Because this is not a person who needs to go find a niche, some kind of belief to lean on. He's doing okay. He's making it. He's a strong-willed, you know, clear-headed, a thinker who can make a lot of distinctions. It helps us because here's a person who can understand the way that we in the world today can sort out a lot of causalities to things. And yet he still believes in angels clearly. We can sort out, if we think about it, we can sort out as many causes for things as we, as we like, as far as we can get. That doesn't prove that angels don't exist. It just means they operate in some other way than we expected. So Bulgakov has an idea or two about what it is that God has for angels to do. The second thing I found interesting about Bulgakov writing his third book about angels was that he went places in the introduction that I have never heard associated with angels before. He begins the whole book with some of this. God, who is love, created human beings for love. The human heart wants to love. It thirsts to be loved. It suffers when it does not love and when it is deprived of love. It wants to expand, to make room in itself, in its own life, for other lives, for many lives, for all lives. Going out of itself, it seeks to melt, to lose itself in the other, to become the other for its own sake, to drown in the ocean of universal love. Man, that's good, right? What's that have to do with angels? Have you ever heard angels described beginning with the human desire, the human vocation to love? I mean, I'm reading this, and I'm, no pun, loving it, but I don't get it. I'm like, where are you going with this? The human desires, he continues, to become oneself in the not oneself, to become one's own in the not being one's own, to become one's own by emptying oneself, humbling oneself, to live in love. Such is the frontier for human nature. I love that. I love that image. The frontier for each one of us, the frontier for the core of our being is love. Because we can, you know, I can live with Cheryl, hallelujah, for, you know, for until death do us part. And may it be a long time, but she's still going to always surprise me somewhere, some way, some many little different or big ways we will surprise each other. Love is the frontier for human nature, interrelationships and community. That is a fantastic, fantastic thing. He goes on to say, a human being lives only to the degree and by how much it loves. It dies to the extent by how much it does not love. It's really, really good. I don't know what it has to do with angels. But I want to know, right? I'm like, I'm in it. Like, tell me. Let's get there, right? So you read on, and you find out that this brilliant, strong figure, when he moved to Paris, he got started 
he was, he was teaching in a new Orthodox theological seminary that had been formed there. So many people had fled there. And he became ill, seriously ill. He was in the hospital. Friends and family were coming to see him. That was buoying him and keeping him up. But then he slipped out of consciousness, and people assumed that he was going to die. Later, he said this. At that time, the voice of a companion sounded within me. I was not alone, but together with my own other. It was my guardian angel. He told me that we, I love that, he told me that we had gone too far ahead. (laughs) Don't you love that? Not you, we. We had gone too far ahead, and it was necessary to return. I understood and heard with my inner being that the Lord was bringing me back to life, and I was recovering. Interiorly, I already knew that I would recover, although I still was not any better. I returned to life from death. I knew all this time that I was not alone, that with me was a friend, the most near, tender, and quiet. I did not see him with my eyes, but I sensed and was aware of his presence. Maybe he's wrong. He based this on Jesus' words in Matthew when Jesus said that the little children's angels always see the face of the heavenly Father. Now, that's a mystery. A lot of mysteries wrapped up in that, but it's Jesus is stating it to illustrate how deeply God loves children. So he's simply, Jesus is just assuming there's a lot of reality there that we call mystery, and Jesus doesn't feel the need to defend it. He's simply saying that children have a special place in the care in the heart of God. And Bulgakov takes that and says, we all have guardian angels. And when we're children, our guardian angel has a special you know, special appointment with God in some mysterious way. So, Bulgakov began to believe that we all have a guardian angel. He understood the guardian angel primarily as given to us to love us. And this is why he began with love. He understood a guardian angel as a special agent of God's care for each one. He called it a friend. The guardian angel is a friend. He loves the one who is entrusted to him, and this love is even for him personal love, possessing the qualities known to us, although exceeding any earthly love in degree and purity. He looks into our soul with a loving, gentle, tender, bright, and joyful gaze in which the whole power of love shines. He never lowers his gaze from us. He does not grow weak in his love. So if you're new here and you're visiting, this is probably the most I've ever said on the least. It's probably the most I've ever said on the least scripture, to be fair. So maybe he's wrong. What do we do when we interact with things that are important, but we aren't given a lot about them? I think the main thing to do is not to get outside what we do believe. We can... We can wonder if and hope that and think probably true things like what Bulgakov is saying. We don't know for sure that he's right, but I don't think he's saying anything that contradicts things we do know. That's what I'm trying to say. Does that make sense? I don't think he's contradicting anything we are given. 
we don't know how much we don't know about all kinds of things about God and angels. In God's mind, it isn't important to have given us. We're on a need-to-know basis. But I can, I can tell you, I read this from Bulgakov, and something inside me, uh, against my own expectation, said, yeah, I think that's right. I can't tell you how many times I've been on my bicycle somewhere, and I've gone, that looks interesting, let's go that way, just for fun, or walking, or whatever, and discovered the most beautiful, heart-piercing, beautiful little beach, or little niche, or little garden in a city, or a little architectural twist, or whatever, some, some moment of beauty, or some nifty way through that I had no idea that was there. Or I've, I've, I was commuting home on the bike to the, to the train. Uh, I had to get, last week when I was down in New Haven, I had to get a new light on my bike. My charger burned out my light. And so I go in the bike shop, and I'm chit-chatting with the woman while we're doing the transaction. And, uh, and I say, yeah, I commute down every week. And she looks at my bike, and she goes, you ride your bike down from Boston every week? I'm like, I wish, right? I wish. No, no, no. But... I, I was commuting through town to get to the train and I had that little tug and I went a certain way and I found this beautiful little little quad and then there was a building and the name on the building reminded me of something I was supposed to follow up with that was important, not urgent and totally slipped my mind and these things happen to me fairly regularly and I thought, eh, maybe he's right. Maybe I have a guardian angel who's like, Got to nudge him again, got to nudge him again. Hey, let's go this way. Look at this. Isn't this beautiful? For Bulgakov, the Jacob story that we read was super important. His book on angels was called Jacob's Ladder. So whatever you think about his ideas about guardian angels, wake back up now. We're going to finish with a little bit of scripture, and this much we do know, okay? Just listen. Just listen in this. The angels of God were going up and coming down, and it was the Lord who stood at his top. He said, I am the Lord. Okay? Who is that, the Lord then? I am the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. I know you. I know your story. I know where you've come from. I know what's going on. I will give you and your descendants the ground you are lying on. I promise goodness to you. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth in a good way, meaning uncountable, and you will spread out to the west, east, north, and south. And all the families of the earth may receive blessings through you and through your descendants. Your life has purpose to bless and to give to others. I am with you. So guardian angel or direct presence to the spirit or both, which is what I believe, I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Does remind you of Jesus' last words in Matthew before, you know, going up? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And then, Jacob in his dream, he sees angels going up and down. Jacob's ladder is then, if you will, prefiguring Jesus in the little moment that we had in our gospel lesson this morning. 
Jacob woke up and thought, surely the Lord is in this place, but I did not realize it. He was afraid, and he said, what an awesome place this is. This is nothing else than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In our gospel lesson this morning, Nathaniel stands in for human in for the human in shame. Okay, so our gospel lesson is going to hint back to Jacob's ladder and tell us a little bit about who Jesus is. And it works like this: Nathaniel stands in for the human in shame. He stands in for the human in Genesis three, having broken the very little tiny bit of commandment we've been given, and now is hiding behind fig leaves. Broken trust with God, presumed to have it our own way. We're now ashamed to be fully known by each other. They're covering themselves with fig leaves and they're hiding from God. Here's Nathaniel sitting under a fig tree. Why do we know what kind of tree it is? He's sitting under a fig tree and he's doubting that anything good can come from Nazareth. He's prejudiced and he's casting shade. He's presuming he's got it sorted and it's his own way. He's covering himself, he's hiding. He's afraid to be known by God or other. His brother comes and says, hey, we found the Messiah. Ooh, that's a lot. Protects himself. Makes a little space. Keeps a little control. But Jesus knows, and he sees through it all. And Jesus is, in his person, the thing that Jacob declared. He is the gate of heaven. And that's what he's saying in that moment. And like Jacob, he'll be out in the wilderness on his own, in extremis, in danger, and he'll die on the cross and be the gate of heaven. So this morning we're, we're keeping, celebrating Holy Michael and all angels. Like I said at the beginning, I doubt you showed up wondering about this. Probably not on your mind. So what does it do for you now that you at least have something to think about? whatever you think about it. What it does for me as I go into another week is it gives me even more confidence of the depth of God's love for me. It gives me the awareness that God's love for me may have layers and depth and thickness of which I have never even been aware. I may never know God may never feel the need to tell me. Maybe I will get to the new heaven and the new earth, and maybe I will see it then and be amazed. The God who says, I know you. I know your story. I have purpose for your life. I promise goodness to you. Loves you in ways greater than you know. Let's pray, friends. Just invite you to thank God for his great love. Maybe just say to him, "If oh God, you know, thank you for creating angels who are your servants and messengers for good. If there's any way that me being aware of that is a help, let me be aware of whatever I need to be aware of. Just give God the control, but open up an invitation.
and say thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. In the name of your Son, Jesus.